Let's turn to the word of God. Today, the message, the teaching will be about the doctrine of the church. We have been having a series of teachings about the most important fundamental teachings of the Bible. And today we will talk about the doctrine of the church. Let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16, 16 and verse 18. The book of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16 and verse 18. The Bible says, and I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Let's, let me emphasize the part where the Lord says, and I will, I will build my church. Let's remember, it is Jesus who is building his church. Amen. And he is building his church upon a rock. Praise God. What rock is Jesus building his church upon? Jesus does not build his church upon the sand. He doesn't build it on the water. He builds it upon a rock. A particular rock. Not just any random rock. Which rock is that? The rock is that voice, that revelation that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This voice, this revelation, this rock was not of human origin. Jesus said, the Father himself. The Father is the Spirit that is in Jesus, that was in Jesus and is God. The Father said, this is my beloved Son, Amen, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Father spoke again through Peter when nobody could answer who Jesus is, God himself answered. Whenever the question is raised in this world, who is Jesus? And there is no answer, then God himself will give the answer. Praise God. Because this question will never go unanswered. Praise God. There are many mysteries in this world. There are many questions which we will never get the answers to. But the Father will never allow one question to go unanswered. And that question is, who is Jesus? And that answer came from heaven. So, Jesus is the Son of God. By that we mean... When a person would see Jesus, you are seeing the Father manifested in his own flesh. Amen. To see Jesus is to see the Father. Why? Because the Father who was invisible, who is a spirit, now manifested himself in flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 God was manifested in the flesh. Praise God. So, this revelation cannot go unanswered. And this revelation is the revelation upon which Jesus is building his church today. Amen. So anywhere in the world today, when you see people gathering together in this name, in this revelation, know 
that Jesus is building his church upon the rock. That revelation is the rock. Hallelujah. And if you stand upon that rock, you will be safe. The storms will beat against it. The wind will blow. Hallelujah. Whatever the nature of the tempest, that rock will stand. Because that rock is not built of earthly material. That rock is God himself. And we have no knowledge of anything that can destroy God. God is indestructible. Universes can be destroyed, but God can never be destroyed, but he destroys. So if you want to stand and you want to be built, you want to stay in a house that can never be destroyed, then you need to join the church, not any church, but the church that believes that God was manifest in the flesh. He is one. He's not a member of a trinity. But his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. This is the name of the only God. Amen. There is a God. One God. And his name is Jesus. Praise God. So once we understand this. And we understand that Jesus is building his church upon this revelation. This rock. Let us continue. The word church comes from the Greek ecclesia. Ecclesia. And originally, according to James Strong, the Greek scholar, it means, and I quote, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public space, a public place, an assembly. So James Strong defines ecclesia as it was used by the Greeks even before Christianity came. Church, ecclesia, meant a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. Amen. So the church, in a Christian sense, refers to those whom the Lord calls out of the world and into his kingdom through the agency of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. As the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38. It is important to underscore the fact, as stated in Matthew 16.18 that we just read, that it is the Lord Jesus who is building the church. Can we say this please? Jesus is building the church. Jesus is the chief architect of this most glorious of kingdoms. Amen. Please let us never lose sight or track of this. Because human beings, after some time, tend to focus on some visible human leader. And they forget that it is actually Jesus who is building the church. Not some human or humans. You see, God uses humans in various capacities in building his church. But make no mistake, it is the Lord Jesus who builds his church. Amen. Humans can only be co-laborers with him. Amen. We can only be co-laborers. But it is not we who are the leaders of the church. It is not we who are directing and guiding the church. 
It is Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Praise God. The Apostle Peter warned the elders of the church. Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3. Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3. The Bible says, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples or examples to the flock. Amen. Every elder should say amen. <laughs> we are not lords over God's heritage. But we are to be examples to the flock. Next, the church is founded on the teaching of the apostles and prophets. But the Lord Jesus is a cornerstone, according to the Apostle Paul. So we have apostles and prophets. But Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20, 20, and 21. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20, 21, and 22 says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Praise God. In whom? All the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Praise God. Amen. Let me share with you a, uh, uh, a picture, perhaps, of how uh, the... Uh, Okay, I'm being told here I can't uh, minimize. Uh, I'm trying to find uh, a picture that I have downloaded onto my desktop. Unfortunately, I won't be able to share it with uh, those who are just hearing by audio. But uh, if possible, I'm not sure if I can share this, but we'll uh, try. I hope you can see this uh, picture here. Yes, Brother Paul. This is a, let me look at the chat room just to confirm if people can see this message, the, the picture here. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So let's have a look at the stone that you are looking that is most prominent in the picture, the uh, cornerstone. Now you can see why it was called a cornerstone. Amen. This was the first stone, basically, that somehow was laid. Now, in this building, it looks like it's been, you know, uh, it's like a few blocks up. But generally, in ancient times, the, the cornerstone looked like this, but it was placed at the bottom. It seemed to join together two walls. You know, it basically gave the alignment, uh, the orientation. So from the cornerstone, 
basically you could build the rest of the building. You can see that it joins together two walls. It gives the alignment, the measurement. This wall should begin here. It should be this many degrees. The angle should be this many degrees and the same for the other wall. So you see how important the cornerstone was. No cornerstone, no building. So the Apostle Paul tells us, Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. Praise God. In other words, he is the firstborn of the church. Just as the stone, the cornerstone is the first and most important stone, Jesus is the first in the church. Amen. That's why the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says, Romans 8 and verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There are many stones in a building, but the most important is the cornerstone. There are many brothers and sisters in the kingdom of heaven, but the firstborn is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What a wonderful truth. Praise Jesus. Amen. In other words, I don't want to be in a church where Jesus is not in the church. The church may grow. The church may have all sorts of programs, businesses, all kinds of, you know, works. But the church can easily become the church of Ephesus. They had everything in the church. But you know what? Jesus was not in the church. They lost their first love. In other words, there is no cornerstone. So, I beg you, I plead with you, wherever you are, whatever church you attend, I'm not saying leave your church. I'm saying make sure However beautiful, powerful, wonderful the ed edifice of the church becomes, you need to look back and check. Is Jesus in the church? Is Jesus even around? Is he guiding the church? Is he leading the church? He said, I will build my church. Have we left the builder? Have we abandoned the builder? God have mercy. However high or tall the building became, however massive and impressive the architecture and the aesthetics were, the building is only as good as the cornerstone. May Jesus be our cornerstone. May we, amen, never be more impressed with other dimensions of, a, of the building more than Jesus, more than the cornerstone. Amen. May we always look to our foundation. I know in the world today, they love to, they're competing with each other, you know, which is the tallest building. There was a time the Empire, Empire State Building was the tallest, the Chrysler Building, etc. And then began to move to Malaysia, the Petronas Towers, and then it went to Dubai, the Al-Burj, uh, Al etc., etc. But what about the foundation? What is that in your foundation? The church is not interested in how tall or how grand the building is. The church 
is always preoccupied with one question. Is Jesus Christ the cornerstone of the building? Amen. When you go to church, do you feel Jesus? Is Jesus calling the shots? Or has Jesus been relegated to the position of uh, some, you know, obscure, nondescript little stone somewhere in the building? Let's pray Jesus will always be the cornerstone. Amen. So he's the firstborn. He's the first, he's the first stone. He's the cornerstone. Amen. In addition, the cornerstone provided stability. It provided alignment for the building. We must ensure that we are aligned with the doctrine of who Jesus is. We must ensure that we are aligned with the character and the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As the church grows and takes shape, we need to ask ourselves, are we aligned with the cornerstone? Or are we somehow incongruent in our relationship with the cornerstone? We don't want the building to become crooked. Praise God. Amen. So, once we have Jesus as the cornerstone, and you know that everything you do in the church is motivated by Jesus, because you can see him, you feel him, you know him, hallelujah. His presence is in the church, hallelujah. Then we also, the Bible mentions the prophets and the apostles. And there's a good reason for this. The prophets foretold the coming of God in flesh. Just consider a prophecy like the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. How powerful that prophecy was. The prophets indeed were privy to the great secrets of God. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Had it not been for the prophets who were inspired by God to declare these incredible truths, we could be excused for not believing that a baby would be the Mighty God. That a baby would be called the everlasting father. That's just incredible. It's incredulous. Who would believe such a thing? But once God revealed it through the prophets, it is believable. Amen. Because prophets said things that people knew would happen. How, do, how did they know in ancient Israel what to believe? Well, they knew through the utterance, through the unction that came upon these prophets whose ministries were proven time and again, as was the case with Jeremiah. Here's a little boy who stands up, begins to prophesy, everybody's against him. And later he says, the Babylonians are coming. They will destroy this land. They are going to destroy the temple. 
Nobody believed him, not even the king. But it happened. However incredible it was, however unbelievable it was, that is the power God gave to the prophets. And that is why Jehoshaphat said, believe in the prophets of God. Because what they say comes true. Hallelujah. So, we are to believe the prophets of God. Believe Isaiah. Believe Jeremiah. Believe Ezekiel. For 1900 years, the Jewish people somehow had to hold on to the, to the writings of Ezekiel that God would make the land of Israel, which was now desolate, a barren land, into a garden of Eden. That Jerusalem would once again have children playing in its streets. That the desert would blossom. How do you believe this? When the Galilee was a mosquito-infested swamp. When all they could see as far as the eye could see was barren desert. How is this going to happen? Well, the prophets have spoken. The prophets were part of the foundation of Israel and the church. God ordained it to be so. And the church of Jesus Christ must also believe this. Can we please say, I believe in the prophets. I believe in the prophets, however incredible their statements seem to be. When Isaiah said that the lion will lie down with the lamb, say, I believe it. It will happen. Amen. When Zechariah said that the feet of Jesus, the one whom we pierce, his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. Let's say, I believe in this. It will happen. I've stood five times on the Mount of Olives. I've looked up and prayed and said, Lord, I believe one of these days your feet will touch this mountain, touch down upon this mountain. Say, I believe in the prophets. Hallelujah. Praise God. These prophets are our foundation, brothers and sisters. God will bless you for believing in the prophets. Believe in, the, in these scriptures genuinely. I'm, amen. Because it will happen. There will be no credit given to anyone who believes these scriptures later when they are fulfilled. But let's believe them beforehand. So the church also is built on the prophecies of these prophets. And that is why it's important for all pastors and teachers in the church to now and then remind the church about the prophets, the prophecies of the prophets. Otherwise, we will be ignoring an important uh, in fundamental part of the church's foundation. Amen. In addition to the prophets, Paul told the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 20, we are also built upon the foundation of the apostles. Praise God. Amen. We have spoken at length about this. We know that the new Jerusalem has the names of the 12 apostles. So you could say that our eternal home in heaven, the new Jerusalem, has the names of the 12 apostles. We cannot forget their names. We will forever be walking on a foundation which carries the names of these beloved apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men who left everything. 
men who were witnesses of God manifested in the flesh. The prophets prophesied about the coming of God in the flesh, but the apostles were witnesses of the fulfillment of the words of the apostles. Can we say amen? That's why the two go together. You can't have the prophets without the apostles and you can't have the apostles without the prophets. Let us not forget that the apostles themselves were men who had the hope of the consolation of Israel. They were not just fishermen and tax collectors. They were also people who spent time reading the words of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and the others. So they were always working in harmony, in unity, in conjunction with the prophets of old. Hallelujah. The prophets would be nothing if it was not for the apostles. The apostles were witnesses of the fulfillment of the sayings of the prophets. As they often wrote, as Isaiah said, praise God. They realized later that they were witnesses to what the prophets had prophesied. So these are our foundation, brothers and sisters. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but the prophets and apostles together confirmed. And, you know, in other words, what this means is the day we lose our faith in what the apostles and prophets wrote, we will no longer be able to be in the church. Praise God. If we believe the prophets and apostles, then Jesus will hold us together in him, in the church. Praise God. Say, I believe the word of God. I believe the Bible written by the prophets and apostles. Amen. Let's continue uh, further. We must also understand that once we now, so far, we've talked about what the church is, who the church is, what we are built upon, what is the doctrine of the church. But let's continue and talk about the body of Christ, the church, that it is supposed to grow onto perfection. Amen. Why are we in the church? Once you believe the things we've spoken, it doesn't take long to believe Jesus is a cornerstone and we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Good. But after that, we are also supposed to understand that we are to grow in the church. We are not just to occupy space in the church. The Lord Jesus works through the offices mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. You see, uh, let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So now you're in the church. You have repented. You believe Jesus is God manifesting the flesh. He's the only God. You've repented. You're baptized in his name. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. What now? Well, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. Amen. So once we are in the body of Christ, the church, this is what is supposed to happen to us. We are supposed to be edified. We are supposed to be perfected because Jesus is coming back to receive us. Jesus is coming back to receive mature saints. Saints that have grown on to maturity and perfection. The Lord gives these gifts in the church to prepare us. Amen. You see, the word edify, edifying has roots in the term edifice. Edifice is a building in English. So in other words, the task of the ministry in the church is to edify, to build the believers. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. So to edify proves that Jesus is building through the gifts that he puts in the church. It's not the apostles or prophets, or evangelists or pastors or teachers or anything. It is Jesus who is still building the church through these gifts and through these ministries. Amen. Hallelujah. So this is why the Christian should attend church. Amen. If you need a justification for why you should attend church. And I'm afraid that uh, there are many Christians, maybe not many, but some who have come to the sad conclusion that uh, I'd, I'll just stay home, I think. I, uh, I won't go to church because Jesus is with me in my house. I can just be at home. Well, I wish to tell you that God wants you to attend church, physically attend church. Amen. The Lord himself would go to the temple in Jerusalem and teach. He would go to synagogues and teach. This was a regular, consistent practice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's look at one such scripture. In the book of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 55, Matthew 26 and verse 55, the Bible says, in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and ye laid no hold on me. You see, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple. Did you know that Jesus used to teach every day in the temple? Wow. Just think about it. And someone says, I, I don't like to go to church. I've even heard some people say it's not a Christian practice to go to church. The people used to go house to house in the beginning. Look at the practice of Jesus. It is he who commanded his people in the Old Testament to go to the temple, to go to the synagogues, yeah, to the house of God. And he himself consistently demonstrated the, uh, the truth of this commandment by attending church himself, by attending the synagogue. 
let me remind you, people ask sometimes, what was Jesus doing between the age of 12 and 30? Well, the Bible says he, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. It was not the case that Jesus one day at the age of 30 went into the synagogue and asked for the scroll of Isaiah. They will never do that if they don't know you. Jews would never do that if you're not a regular, uh, you know, attendee. Did you know that if one was not in good standing with the synagogue, your name would be struck off. You would not have access to the synagogue. So Jesus was a regular attendant in the synagogue at Nazareth. For 30 years, he did not say anything. He just came and was quiet and listened to the preaching and listened to the teaching and listened to everything that was happening there. See how humble God is. No wonder Paul said to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Amen. Though he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal. Just think about what I just said now. It's easy to say, but it's, it's mind-boggling that God came into this world in flesh and for 30 years, he just listened to other people preaching and teaching, expounding the word of God. He didn't interfere. He didn't stop them. He didn't challenge them. He didn't trouble them. But when he turned 30, he asked for the scroll of Isaiah and the scripture in Isaiah 53, in, in Isaiah, where he found the place, the Bible says, where he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For 30 years, he was quiet. He gave those words to Isaiah. But now it was time for him to speak. May God help us to know when it's our time to speak. May God give us the patience that he had. Hallelujah. When he came into this world, he's God. You know, when we know something better than others, it's so hard to be quiet. It's so hard to keep our tongues in check. And imagine God for 30 years is listening to others explain what he gave to Isaiah. Amazing praise. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Praise God. Jesus is personally building the church and selects individuals through whom he prepares us for his second coming. Just as a baby has no milk of its own, but must rely on its mother, the newborn Christian will find spiritual milk in the church. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Praise God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Peter goes on to exalt the church. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in 
grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where? How does this happen? Where can this happen? Much of it happens in church. Church is not the only place, of course, where this happens, but much of it happens in church. Amen. We ought to evaluate our growth in the church at certain intervals. We need to ask ourselves at certain intervals, have I matured in the Lord in the last year? Where am I lacking? What is missing? Amen. Let us turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are changed from glory to glory. Amen. And to which image? The image of Jesus. That means we have infinite potential for growth. Because how long does it take to become like Jesus? Amen. Let's continue. The church is also the place where God ordained for us to learn about prayer, praying, giving, and worship, to name a few. Basically, today I'm speaking about the doctrine of the church. And also, why go to church? You will find a book by the same title on our website under books, freely available. Download it. Please take time to read it. If you are struggling to attend church, if you find that you no longer have the same passion, because it takes some dedication and discipline to dedicate Sunday in particular as the, the day of the Lord. Some may have to drive far. Some may have to take the public transport system. Prepare your clothes. Take some offering with you. whatever the weather may be like. So I can understand that the flesh is not really a fan of attending church. And so with time, you may experience some, uh, you know, hesitation, recalcitrance. You may just not want to go to church. And I hope this message will Rekindle your passion for church. Uh, may the Lord help you find a, a church nearby that preaches this truth. Amen. So let's talk about some of these things. Let's begin with prayer. In Matthew 21, verse 13, Matthew 21 and verse 13, Jesus said, and he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. Note, as I said earlier, that Jesus called his house the house of prayer. He didn't call it a house of prayer. It is the house of prayer. In other words, the church is the ultimate house of prayer par excellence. 
there is no place which is more, you know, uh, which which can bear this title with more uh, gravitas and dignity and you know truth than the church. And by church, I mean the place where the people of God gather together. Something unprecedented happens when we come together and pray in one accord. Amen. In a place that is dedicated for that purpose. I know that we cannot make a building more than what it is. It's just a building. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, there was a place called Bethel. Can you say amen? There was a place called Bethel. And it was God who told Jacob to go to Bethel. It was at Bethel that Jacob dreamed there was a ladder to heaven, angels ascending and descending. Do you know what that means? In the house of God, that is the meaning of Bethel, the house of God, there is unhindered spiritual activity, unhindered access to God who was above the staircase. There is a place that belongs to God and God alone. We should all have such a place. I know some people want to say, well, you know, my home is sufficient. But let me remind you, your home is a place for daily living. On Monday, you may forget that it's a place that is dedicated to God. You may do things there that are not worthy of the house of God. The TV is blaring, children screaming. <laughs> Unholy activities may happen in your house. God have mercy. We need a place. Can we say man? We need a place where there are no TVs. There's no internet. There's no evil communication. A place where we don't come to talk about the weather or hunting or whatever. We need a place that is dedicated for a few hours to Jesus, to worshiping Jesus, talking about Jesus, nothing else, amen. May God give you such a place. We don't want bitter water and sweet water to come out from the same place. May God give you of building a church that when you are there, you only focus on Jesus, a house of prayer where nothing else happens. We don't want Jesus to make a whip and chase us out. And say, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Amen. But you've made it a house for gossip. Or you made it the house for watching TV. Or Hollywood. Or whatever. May God have mercy upon us. May there be a place we dedicate only to holiness unto the Lord. Praise God. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. God give us a church building. Amen. So, 
The Bible also records several mighty miracles which happened when the people of God came together to pray. Jehoshaphat and Judah prayed and fasted and the Lord delivered them miraculously from a combined force of Moabites, Ammonites and others. You can read about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. What about Queen Esther? Queen Esther and all the Jews worldwide prayed and fasted and God delivered them from a certain holocaust planned by Haman of Persia. You can read this in the book of Esther chapter 4. In the New Testament, the church gathered in the house of John Mark and prayed for the deliverance of Peter was miraculously loosed from prison by the angel of God. Amen. Wonderful things happen when the church comes together to pray in the name of Jesus. May the church be the house of prayer. May the church gather in such a place and pray for Peter to be delivered, for the Ammonites and uh, Moabites to be scattered, for the plans of Haman to be frustrated in the name of Jesus. Next, the house of God is also known as a house of giving. And we say amen. <laughs> the church is famous. The temple was famous. The synagogues were famous as places of giving. Amen. Praise God. Where God is, there is a spirit of giving. Because for God so loved the world, he gave. If there is one verb that characterizes Jesus, it is to give. He gave of his time. He gave of his power. He gave of his emotions, his empathy. He gave of everything. He gave his blood. He gave his flesh. Amen. And he gave of his spirit till today. So if Jesus is in the church and Jesus is the cornerstone, be assured there will be a spirit of giving in the house of God. Amen. And some of us have seen thousands and thousands raised in the name of Jesus over the years. Praise God. Even the government cannot compete with the church in the grace of giving. Amen. The government doesn't ask you to give. They take <laughs> taxes by force. But in the church, in the house of God, it is all voluntary. God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. May we come to church cheerfully and may we give in the house of God cheerfully. Praise God. Let's read Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Malachi 3, 10. And that's why we love church. So many wonderful things happen in church. Praise God. Malachi 3, 10 and 11 says, Bring ye all the thighs into the storehouse. Where do you think the storehouse is? It's the church. That there may be meat in mine house. He said it right there. In mine house. There is a house of God. Don't let anybody cheat you. There's a pastor in the UK who goes around telling people don't go to church. Imagine. And God is saying, 
Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Which house is that? And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Malachi 3, 10, 11 says, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Let's say amen. Do you see how important the church is in the word of God, in the kingdom of God? Did you know that the apostles used to go to the temple in the beginning? They believed that that's where they should worship God. Until God destroyed the temple. We all remember the poor widow whom the Lord commended for her giving in the temple. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Mark 12, verse 41, the Bible says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. We know the story. And there was this widow who gave, you know, of everything, basically, she had. So there was a treasury in the temple. And the Lord observed what people were giving. Jesus observes the treasury. Amen. So let's go to the house of God. And David said, I was so glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He was a king. Kings are not normally excited to go to the house of God. But David was no ordinary king. Somebody called David the king who should have been priest. He was in the wrong job. He loved the things of God. So you see, we have seen so far, the house of God is a place where there is teaching. Let's say teaching. The best teaching should be in the house of God. That's why ministers should take time to pray Fast, seek God. When we come to church, we should have the best teaching that we can hope, you know, ever uh, give to the people of God. Because as Nehemiah said, this is not man's work. This is God's work. In Jesus' name. Pray for ministers to come and give the best teaching they can with the help of the Lord in church. Amen. The church is a place. Where we pray. Amen. The best prayer should be given in church. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Imagine Jesus was teaching in the church, in the synagogue, in the temple. I would have given anything. I, I would be very faithful to go to church. If I knew Jesus is teaching in the church. Hallelujah. I would go every day. Amen. I would ask Jesus, how often do you come? Every day? Say, yes, I'm coming every day. He said, daily. I was in the temple daily teaching. Oh, hallelujah. And we have a problem to come to church once a week. God have mercy. Hallelujah. May we love the house of God. This message is to, to revive a love. The love that you had for the house of God. Maybe somebody 
will hear this message in some country. We used to go to church, was active in church. Maybe you were the usher. Maybe you were the treasurer. Maybe you were the preacher. Maybe you were the musician. Whatever you were doing, and you may no longer be doing it, this message is to encourage you, go back to church. Hallelujah. May God once again reinstate you as he reinstated the man whom Pharaoh kicked out. I'm trying to remember, was it the, 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 the guy who poured his wine or, or the baker? I think it was the guy who poured wine, who held his cup. May God give you back your job. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. But let me also say, the church, not least, is also intended to be a place where believers enjoy each other's company. And somebody say amen. And carry each other's burdens. Let me say one thing to you. Technology today may have facilitated greater connection across the globe. But that does not mean people are any less lonely than they were before. Right here in this country, where I'm speaking from, Norway, the government and researchers tell us that the greatest problem, disease that we have is loneliness. Now, Norway is one of the most advanced countries in the world, civilized, etc., etc., but people are lonely. So, and people don't go to church. We have one of the lowest church attendance in the world. Less than 5% uh, go to church. Very few believe in God. Are we surprised that there is so much loneliness? Let me say this to you. God has given us the church as an antidote to loneliness. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Are you lonely? Go to church. Praise God. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate marriages. We celebrate graduations and other successes. We also console each other when tragedy strikes, when there are funerals, etc. All happens in the church. Once in Africa, I forget the country, but I've read this somewhere. There were some NGOs, which stands for non-governmental organizations. You know, like the Red Cross and uh, Save the Children, etc. Uh, these uh, do uh, good doers or do-gooders or whatever you want to call them. They were reminded by a local pastor in a village. He told them, let me tell you something. You people just came recently. And you want to tell us how to do things. But we have always been here when children were born. We dedicated them. We visited the sick. We were there in their joys, in their highs and their lows. And when people died, we were there to bury and to console others. And we've been here for a long time. And you guys are the new kids on the block. And I don't think you guys know what you're doing with the community. You've come to help us to become advanced. But man shall not live by bread alone. Amen. I think that was well said. Praise God. 
because, and this was an academic book, and uh, the academics were trying to remind students that they cannot replace the local pastors and priests, etc. The people who were there when no one else was there. The church is supposed to be our church, your church, my church. Amen. It doesn't belong to one person. It doesn't belong to a little group within the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's why I always tell everyone, please remember, we're all servants to each other in the church. The church belongs to Jesus. May we let Jesus work in his church. Comfort people. Strengthen people. Sometimes people come to church only because they're lonely. They may not want Jesus. Of course, the goal should be for them to know Jesus. But until then, can we not just show them love? Tell them we love them. If they don't want to hear the message, uh, they're not doesn't go through to their hearts, no problem. They are close to the kingdom of God. They're near the kingdom of God. One day God will bring them in. You know, the three friends of Job may have been miserable comforters, as Job called them in Job 26. No, Job 16 and verse 2. However, thank God at least they came. Thank God that they at least moaned with him and spent time with him. Amen. I know that somehow Job wanted them to be there. Although he was not happy with what they were saying. Because otherwise he would have told them to leave. Go away. You see, everyone needs company. Everyone needs someone to come. Cry with you. Laugh with you. Amen. And that's also one of the ministries of the church. There are some social scientists, such as a guy called Robert Putnam. Uh, he's a professor of social science. And he once said, that uh, churches have something called social capital. And by that, what he meant was uh, they do each other favors. They uh, render services to each other and all sorts of, you know, service things that they do for each other that uh, happen only because of their commonly held faith. And he said, if you try to put a, a, a number, cost, a figure to these services that they do freely for each other, we will be talking about millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, things like renovation, transport, financial giving, just think about all that we do for each other. Uh, the church church is supposed to be rich in social, so, social capital. We have social capital. There are three capitals, by the way. There is financial capital, there is social capital, and there is cultural capital. People who have a lot of education are called people who are, have a lot of cultural capital. But the church has a lot of social capital. Social capital, just to give you a simple example, is if you are going to move house, how many friends can you call? What kind of a network do you have that will help you to move free of charge? The more people you can call upon, the greater your social capital. And the church is unmatched in its social capital. Can we all say praise Jesus? Thank God for 
social capital in the church. Amen. Praise God. So I want to conclude by saying the church of Jesus Christ is comprised of individuals whom the Lord Jesus personally calls out of the world into his kingdom. The Lord builds the church, which is his body, and is founded on the doctrine of the prophets and apostles, with the Lord Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. The Lord bestows the gifts of the Spirit upon these individuals who edify and perfect the church. The church is a place where we learn about and practice the virtues of prayer, giving and worship among others. It is for this reason we should attend church. And that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews exhorts us. And let's conclude with the scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the man of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Praise God. How through? How through? Amen. Can we pray in Jesus' name? Praise God. Lord Jesus, I thank, thank you for this message. You are the great shepherd of the church. Your word has gone forth. It is your spirit that teaches us, that anoints us, and desires to remind your people about the meaning of the doctrine of the church. We pray now that your word will go forth and not return unto you void, but accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. I pray if there are any who no longer go to church, I pray that you will revive their love for church through this renewed understanding of the doctrine of the church. I pray for those whose hearts have become lukewarm to the church and church attendance. I pray that a new passion will be kindled in their souls for church attendance. I pray that every church will go back to understanding the purpose of the church. And I pray that all these virtues that we just talked about that are supposed to be present and flourish, flourish in the church will once again be present and flourish in the church in Jesus' name. We pray that there will be love in the church, that we will all be our brother's keepers, that we will all not think only about our own interests, but understand that when people come to church who are lonely, when people come because they need a shoulder to cry upon, when people come because they no longer can bear to stand the four walls of their homes, I pray we will receive them with the love of Christ. I pray we will make a difference in their lives. I pray we will understand that in so doing, we will be fulfilling the will of God. Jesus, fill our hearts with love for people. Believers, and unbelievers, and those on the fence. In the name of Jesus, we commit this Bible study into your hands. Whatever people will 
log on and download. I pray that they will be blessed, that they will be touched and touch others in, in, in turn. Hallelujah. Bless your people who are here today, Jesus. Tomorrow is the day of the Lord. Let them rejoice like David. Amen. And enter your courts with thanksgiving, your gates with praise. Hallelujah. Let them take their offerings with love, with joy. Hallelujah. And let them go to pray, knowing your house is a house of prayer. All this we say, pray in the name of Jesus, the God who builds this church. In Jesus' name we pray and the church says, Amen.